Um, with that, let's pray, and we'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first eight verses here. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have um, to communicate with you through prayer. We thank you that uh, you desire for us to communicate with you. We thank you that you desire a relationship with us. We thank you that you have um, provided a means for us to have a relationship with you through Christ. Lord, we ask that as we continue our study through 1 Timothy, we ask that your spirit would guide us um, through the heart of this passage, that you would help us to understand uh, what's being said here, what it means, and that it would move from our minds to our hearts, um, to, to our lives, that we would live it out. Um, Father, whenever the subject of prayer comes up, it's so easy for us to uh, feel guilty or um, kind of like that we're missing the mark, that we fall short of what you desire from us. And I don't think that that's what your word is uh, doing. And so we ask, Lord, that you would um, grow our relationship with you, help us to be a praying people, help us um, to, to foster our relationship with you. Uh, may it begin today, may it grow today as we study and read about prayer. Um, we are grateful, Lord, for this, this wonderful gift that we have to communicate with you, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Uh, may you guide us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, <clears throat> for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. <clears throat> I am telling the truth, I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you uh, for this word. We ask that you would help us as we go through it, as we study it. Um, we ask that you would clear our minds of distractions, that you would open our hearts um, to hear a word from you. I uh, ask, Lord, that you would help us to... Um, just to grow in our capacity and desire of praying. And it's in Christ's good name we ask this. And it's in, amen. I almost repeated myself. I think the CD almost skipped. Um, <clears throat> so we've covered the first chapter of Timothy. Um, we learned in that first chapter that Timothy was, um, I want to say recommissioned, he was encouraged, reminded of by Paul um, 
Paul said, hey, when I was with you in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, <clears throat> I encouraged you to stay behind, um, uh, to, to lead the church, to, um, to guide the church in truth. Um, <clears throat> there are men who have crept into the church who were teaching strange doctrines that were chasing genealogies, who were leading discussions that really led to dissension and um, confusion and conversation that, that, that just didn't lead to um, a, a godly life, a, a unified body. And he said, Timothy, I need you to stay back to take care of this problem. Paul departed to uh, Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, and, and while he was there, he wrote this letter to Timothy. And he reminded him, Timothy, do these things that I encourage you to do. Um, don't, don't try to slip out of this. It might, it's a difficult task, but God has um, anointed you and qualified you and called you to this, this very task. Um, sort of looking ahead in chapter 3, verse 15, um, Paul writes to Timothy sort of the purpose statement, the the intent of this letter, what he's trying to accomplish. <clears throat> it's important for us to, if you can identify that in a book of the Bible, if you can say, okay, here the author tells us what the intention is, because then as you go through that whole of the book or letter, you can sort of keep it in the forefront of your thinking so you can keep the book sort of framed. And what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says, but in the case that I am delayed... I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So Paul recognizes that there were some people causing problems in the church. Um, There is the church. Timothy was called by God to go there to kind of fix the problem and to sort of um, delay the foundation of the church of health and organization and how God's church is to run. And so today we enter in the first of a couple different uh, sections where Paul is dealing with specific things. Some of them are related to the problems that he was dealing with. Some are just foundational. So today we're looking at prayer. Uh, Next week is going to be awesome. We're going to talk about women in the church. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be just, you know, I'm going to, you know, hopefully between now and next week I'll figure out it means that women will be saved by childbirth. And, like, there's just all sorts of, next week's going to be awesome. Uh, it'll be like the old school Southern Baptist, you know, sweating pastor, shaking off, like, you know, tap dancing. And, and uh, <clears throat> but he's dealing with stuff. It's good. I mean, it's the, we're going to deal with it, and we'll look at it. He, he's going to deal with leaders in the church. He's going to deal with deacons and, and how the church is to be structured and to run. And, <clears throat> and so it's important and so today we look at this, uh, this, inter- this beginning, this, this, this foundational, as Paul thinks about what are the most important things that need to be dealt with in the church? What are the things that Timothy needs to handle? And he says, first of all then, of the first importance, of the, the uppermost priority, as you are leading the church, um, you need to prioritize certain things, um, this is of primarily, primary importance. Um, not really related. Um, <clears throat> there's a word in here, all. 
This is a key word in this section. Uh, I want to point this out so you'll see it, you'll hear it, you'll circle it in your Bible if you're a circle it in your Bible kind of person. Um, he is beginning to sort of press out on these false teachers who became sort of exclusive in their teaching. They had created a very narrow circle of those that they cared for and that they ministered to. That was part of the issue with the genealogies previously, that they were tracing down genealogies. Um, They were creating a Christianity that was very, very, very narrow. And so in this section, Paul uses the word all um, many times, six times to be precise. in, in this situation, it's not so critical. It's just first of all then. Based on what I've said of the primary importance, we need to deal with the very most important thing as a church that you need to deal with. He says, I urge you. Um, this is a, 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 Paul is compelling Timothy not to slack in the area of prayer. He says, I urge you. I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. So prayer is a priority. Why is it so critical that it's a priority? I would suggest that it is most critical in church life. In church life, that's the people of God who've given their lives to Jesus. It's not this building. This is a place where the church meets. Prayer is critical because prayer is of the most basic understanding. It is a relationship with God. Uh, When you have a relationship with somebody, anybody, you communicate. If you're not communicating, there's no relationship. Communication is, it, it demonstrates, it reveals a relationship. And so prayer is critical that the people of God who have been reconciled to God, who have life in him, God communicates to us through his word, and he desires us to communicate with him that we would seek him. Um, In the early church, this was critical. Uh, Jesus, after his ascension, uh, we know that the early church was, um, you know, waiting in Jerusalem for the next steps. The spirit of God comes. Um, Pentecost happens. The church explodes, goes from you know, 70 people to 3,000 people in a, in a day and continued to, to multiply. Um, the disciples are trying to figure out, like, how does this all work? What are we doing now? God was moving in an extraordinary way um, in Acts. And you come to Acts chapter 6, and part, what, a problem had started to surface. Um, you had Hellenistic Jews, and then you had... Um, the, the Jews that had remained in Jerusalem. And these two groups were very distinct. Um, as Israel was conquered and sort of uh, placed around the world, um, the large portion of them became known as Hellenistic Jews. And the Hellenistic Jews were Jews that were scattered. They um, <clears throat> were raised and lived in other cultures. Um, they, many of them lost their capacity to speak Hebrew, to understand Hebrew. They were still Jewish, but they spoke the language and they, they dealt in the language of the, the culture that they found themselves. All of them, because of Alexander the Great, um, who for, forced Koine Greek on the world, um, they, they began to even read their Bibles in Greek, which is the Septuagint. And so they 
they spoke and operated in language that was not Hebrew. But then you had that group of Jews who remained in Jerusalem who maintained their uh, Hebrew roots, their Hebrew language and culture. And they looked down upon the Hellenistic Jews who were scattered and gave up their traditions and watered down their culture in many ways. And so in the early church, there's widows of these two groups. And of the Hellenistic widows, a complaint arose that the, that the, the, the native Jews or the Jews that maintained their cultures, they, they were getting all of the benefits of the food, but the Hellenistic Jews, the widows, they were getting sort of second dibs on food. And, and I just see the poor apostles going, we got so much on our plate. How, and now like the, the widows are fighting and everybody's mad. And so deacons were formed and people who are servants of the church to care for this. But in the midst of this, as they're coming up with this structure to care for these things, and the reason I'm bringing this up in Acts 6.4, we read that they will devote ourselves, they says that we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Um, so from the very beginning, the apostle said, as we lead the church, it's critical that we stay committed uh, to seeking God and his direction and his leading, that we be committed to the word of God, so that we can teach and lead the church. And we've got to pass on this, these, these other things administratively to others who can handle it so that we can keep prayer a priority. And so when Paul writes to Timothy, nothing has changed, nothing today has changed. It's so easy for administrative tasks and the calling of elders and leaders of the church to get sort of overwhelmed by other stuff. And Paul says it's of utmost importance that you stay committed to prayer, that you pray uh, for all men. Now, it's not just to leaders, it's for all followers of Christ that prayer, this relationship that we have, God tells us in other places in the New Testament that we're to pray always. Um, There are three words used initially for prayer. We can't really make a big deal about, or distinction, I should say, between entreaties, prayers, petitions. These words are, they're essentially synonymous. Um, The the issue isn't on different types of prayers, but I think what Paul is doing is he's trying to, to broaden the scope of prayer that um, you have unlimited access to the creator of the world, the, the, the creator who spoke the world into existence, the one who formed you in your mother's womb long before you were born. You have access to this creator through prayer and utilize it. And so he encourages prayer. He also uses the The fourth word, which is distinct from the others, and that's thanksgiving. Um, Gratitude, thankfulness is a very Christian um, disposition that we who have accepted Christ as Savior, our lives should be marked by gratitude. I would suggest that your, your whole life disposition, how you view the world, it would be radically different if you started each day simply by giving God thanks. We have so much to be thankful for. Like if you're waking up, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this bed that I'm in. Or thank you for this floor I'm sleeping on. Thank you that I have running water in my house. And, and God, it even gets hot if I want to get hot most times. And if, it, and if I want it cold, it, it's cold. It's Thank you. You should be able to carry on for a long time of gratitude. And if you develop a heart of gratefulness and thanksgiving, it changes you. 
Now, from this prayer, he says that I urge all entreaties, prayers, and petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. So there's this all. Um, this is its expansion. Well, who do we pray for? All men. Well, these leaders that were leading the church, they had really had genealogies. They'd really like narrowed the scope of who they could pray for, who constituted worthiness. They were, were very much exclusive in who they dealt with. And Paul reminds Timothy, no, it's the whole world. Um, this isn't every single man. This isn't uh, an instruction to, if you can find a white pages, I don't know if they exist anymore, but it's not calling you to go to the, the, the telephone book and to go name by name by name and pray for every single person. I don't think that you could do San Diego County, um, let alone the whole world. This is, this is the idea of all types of people, all categories of people, um, not just your little Christian circle. This is all people. This is the guy at the march who was combative to, to pray for that whole category of people. Um, who, who, whatever categories of people come to your mind, we need to be praying for them. Uh, we will see uh, through this section that we serve a God with an evangelistic heart. He is a God that desires all um, to come to knowledge of him and to receive Christ as Savior. Um, this exclusivity, um, we saw it in, the, uh, in Luke. Um, I wrote it at Luke chapter 10. It's the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're all familiar with the story, the parable of Good Samaritan. Uh, we might not know the context of it, but we know the parable. And so this young attorney approaches Jesus. He wanted to justify himself. And he, he said, what do I need to do to get to heaven? Important question. And uh, Jesus says, do these things. He says, check, check, I've done that. What else? Well, love the Lord God your, with your whole heart. I love your neighbors, yourself, that's great. Check, I've done that, I'm good. I'm like, cool, Jesus. And then he comes back and he says, well, just, I want to make sure I got the second box okay. Now, when you say to love your neighbor as yourself, can you define neighbor for me? And what he was getting at was every rabbi had sort of a different concentric ring about who qualified as your neighbor. Some, some rabbis said your neighbor was just your immediate family. Some said, well, it's the people in your synagogue uh, some said, well, maybe it's like your house and the houses that border your house. Those are your neighbors. But if you go two houses away, those aren't your neighbors. And so they had a very limiting and varying scope of who qualified as neighbor. She says, well, that's a good question. Let me tell you a story. There was this man who was going down the hill and, uh, and he gets beat up. Now there's a priest, there was a couple guys, they go by, they go to the other side of the street, they ignore the guy. Then there's a Samaritan who everybody doesn't like. No Jews like Samaritans. This Samaritan sees a guy that's beat up. He goes to him, he, he uh, cleans him up, he puts a Band-Aid on him, he takes him to the, to the hotel, gets him a room in the hotel, goes to the guy at the front desk, says, you take care of that guy, uh, take care of all of his medical treatment. Um, I'm going to be coming back through here. When I get back, I'm going to pay every, all of his bill. Jesus looks at the attorney and says, in this story, who was the neighbor? The attorney says, well, clearly the Samaritan was the good neighbor. And so Jesus was trying to expand the thinking for humanity. Don't get in your little clique. Don't get in your little circles. It's, it's all of humanity, all humans, God loves and desires to see them come to salvation. <clears throat> Bonhoeffer 
uh, a great theologian, great historical figure. He wrote this on prayer. He said, uh, Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession or prayer of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face that here through, that's a word I have a hard time with, hitherto, I don't use that in my everyday vernacular, uh, may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. This is a happy discovery for the Christian who begins to pray for others. And Bonhoeffer, his point on prayer is that as within the body of Christ, as we begin praying for one another, if you're praying sincerely for an individual, you're seeking God on their behalf for whatever it is. And as you're seeking uh, God's favor in their lives, if they tick you off, it's pretty hard for them to tick you off if you're praying for them. When you go to them through the lens of God, seeing that this is a person for whom Christ died, it's, it, you have to change your disposition to them. And I would expand on the world. If you're praying for the type of person that maybe you don't get along with, you don't like, the person irritates you, if you're sincerely praying for them, your heart for them is going to change. You're going to see them through God's eyes. You're going to be more sympathetic towards them. You're going to desire them to come to saving faith in Christ. Things will change as you pray for them. Now he starts with this broad statement. And then he narrows it. Um, He goes from all men to kings and all who are in authority. Um, Americans are funny people to me. Uh, American Christians in particular are funny people to me. Um, Especially as it relates to politics and authority. Um, I noticed that as like the pendulum swings from one side to the other, and it doesn't really matter what side you're on because there's Christians on both sides. We very much have our teams, and we like praying for our team. But when it's not our team, we like complaining about them and bickering about them and and talking trash about them. Um, Nowhere in Scripture do I see this justified. I... uh, um, we're, we're called to submit to those in authority. We're, uh, we're called to pray for those in authority. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, he tells a story. I'll read it to you. It's really funny. <clears throat> Paul, uh, J. Vernon McGee writes, Paul says that Christians are to pray for public officials, and I, I, I take it that he meant that the prayers were to be made in the church. To bring this up to date, he is saying that Democrats ought to pray for Republicans, and Republicans ought to pray for Democrats. Many years ago, a famous chaplain of the Senate was asked by a visitor, do you pray for the senators? He replied, no. I look at the senators and I pray for America. <laughs> like, like, I don't, and I'm like, what a genius chaplain to like handle this. <clears throat> and so we're called to pray for our nation. And you, you, you might see this and go, oh, well, Paul had it easy. He didn't know what he was talking about. It gets worse if you were to turn with me over to Romans, and please do, Romans chapter 13. I don't have time to necessarily cover all of the ground concerning uh, Christians as we relate to the civil authorities. 
But before I read this, I want to remind us that, that Paul lived under Nero. Nero was a ruthless, wicked, evil man. He murdered a ton of his family members. I think, I think there was a saying that like, you were, it was safer to be a pig in Nero's house than it was to be a relative of his because he just killed everybody. He went crazy. He burned Rome. He, he had uh, uh, Jerusalem destroyed. To, to, well, I don't know about today so much. I don't think people are ripping or burning CDs as much as they used to, but there was that software for a long time uh, for when you needed to burn a CD. It was called Nero. Um, that, that There's software about burning that they named it after Nero, a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. This guy was evil, wicked. I mean, to say he was evil doesn't even paint the picture of the wickedness of this man. And he was the one that controlled the world and made Christians' lives literally a living hell. I mean, this is when, when Christians were thrown to the lions for entertainment. Uh, he would throw parties and he would uh, take Christians alive on like telephone poles and light them afire while they were alive to, to bring light to his parties. And so what does Paul say? Romans 13, uh, Romans 13 verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I understand this, that I, I, I read this, and, and the first thing is I'm filled with gratitude because we in America don't know how good we have it. We have it the best out of the, the, the most of the world. And, and if you're one who likes to complain about our government and how bad the politicians are, we live in California, so there's, like, there's even more we can complain about. <clears throat> I would encourage you to like, do a little vacation to like Africa, uh, third, maybe like uh, Bolivia, Colombia, uh, Name some country. The Middle East is a great place. I've been there all over. Bahrain is a wonderful place in the Middle East to visit. Saudi Arabia, I've been there a, bunch, a couple times. Wonderful place. There's movie theaters as of like two weeks now. Yeah, North Korea, we could go to the... Go to, it, it, don't just... And don't waste your time like on just a week. Like, take a month or two. It'll radically change your perception of government. But Paul wrote this under Nero. And, and he's talking about Nero and saying, I understand the sovereignty of God and that God has appointed government and God has put Nero, this horrific ruler, over us and yet we as Christians are to submit to him. <sighs> he continues, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves for rulers are not a cause for, of fear, uh, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you not want to have fear of, th of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister, it is the authorities, it is a minister of God for your good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. <clears throat> Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. 
not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. He says, not, not, don't just submit to the government because you're fear of the wrath, but for your conscience sake. And what does that tell you? That tells you that because you're conscious, if you're a follower of Christ, our understanding of human governments and authorities that are placed over us, that God has ordained them. And so to go against them is to violate God. And so for your conscience sake, we're to submit to them, which I do think it's a little bit complicated in America because we are a democracy and that we are giving, uh, we have freedoms in a way that most Christians haven't had over history, that, that we are encouraged to vote and to participate. And I think you should. I totally think that we should be involved with these things. But the question is, if you examine your words, your posts on Facebook, your whatever it is, however you communicate, how, how do you measure or how is it weighed out your prayers for the authorities above you compared to your complaints? And I know I fall terribly short of praying for our nation and our leaders from what the scripture says. It's way too easy to complain and to, to talk trash and to not be happy or to be happy with your team. Uh, but even if it's your team, it, uh, like are you praying for your, your quote-unquote uh, political team? Like we need to be praying. We're, we're called to pray. And back to Timothy, he says the reason, a, a motivation for us is very practical so that we may lead tranquil and, and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So the aim of our prayers, this is beautiful, like that the word of God tells us that it's okay to pray so that you might lead a, a tranquil and quiet life. It's to, to live in peace is something that should be desired, that, um, that the aim of government, as Scripture lays it out, is that the government exists to restrain evil. As long as there are people in this world, there's going to be evil, there's going to be terrible things that are happening. And the one thing that is clear is that the government's supposed to exist to restrain evil. But I didn't even get to the part about taxes in Romans 13. I figure we're too close to April to start bringing that up. But he says that our lives are supposed to be marked with godliness and dignity. That, that, that as Christians, if you're facing persecution, and, and Paul makes it clear that if you're a Christian, if you follow Christ, persecution will come your way. The person, persecution could, should come not because of your political postings, your political whatever, your, your, the persecution you should experience. It should be because of your godliness and your living for Christ and not bending from his word. Um, but we pray for our leaders in hopes that we might lead tranquil and quiet lives. It's, it's really encouraging. He, he then is... Um, going to share with us a little bit about God's heart over these prayers. And I, I do believe that it's not just generally praying. I, I think that there's a room for generally praying, and we're encouraged to pray for all things. But in this section in particular, the, the prayers are going to be narrowed for evangelistic prayers, um, that, that we would pray for the salvation of all men, that we would be uh, calling out to God, crying to him, that human, humanity would be saved. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And so we learn that when we pray, it's pleasing to God. 
And this sort of alludes to that our prayers are, are leaning or pressing towards the salvation of humanity, to the salvation of people that we're praying for, from our authorities around us to our neighbors to all types of people. <clears throat> we're told that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. This is not a decree. If God decreed that all men would be saved, all men would be saved. We see his desire that God tells us that his heart is that all creation, all humans would come to saving knowledge through Christ. Now the barrier there is not God. The barrier is that God in his sovereignty has given humanity the, the option to reject God. We're told in Acts 17, 26, it's one of my favorite passages, that, that every human has been placed geographically and in the time setting specifically by God that it would be like their sweet spot. For those of you who golf, I've heard, I've never, I'm not really good at finding it, but on a golf club, there's a sweet spot. So when you swing the club, if you hit the ball in the sweet spot, the ball does exactly what, you're supposed, what it's supposed to do. And so it's almost like in Acts 17, 25, and 26 that God has placed each of us in the sweet spot for us to respond to him. But the decision is still in our hearts or the hardness of our heart. Uh, you know, the saying, I forget who said it, but it's the same sun that hardens clay, melts butter. And so God is working on us that our hearts would be soft, that we would respond to the gospel. But at the, at the end of the day, it's your heart, your decision and your default is to reject God. But we're told in this passage that God is pleased with our prayers that seek people to come to Christ. God desires for all people to come to salvation in him. Then in verses 5 through 7, there's this great theological sort of teaching. I partway think this is Paul um, sort of undermining the teaching of the, the teachers that were sort of teaching the, f- the false things within Timothy. He says, for there is one God, um, there are not many gods, there are one God. All roads do not lead to heaven. There is one way, and there is one God, uh, one mediator between God and men. A mediator refers to one who intervenes between two individuals to restore peace or to ratify a treaty. So we're told that there is one mediator between God and man. There's no other way to access God. We don't decide God has placed the roadmap before us, and the roadmap is through Christ alone. And when people say, hey, I'm, well, I'm just so exclusive and it doesn't seem right to me, why does it have to only be Jesus? My response, I'm just glad that there is a way. Like, I'm glad that we have a way to access God. <clears throat> he says, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Again, not universalism. Jesus' work on the cross, it was sufficient for all, but it becomes effective based on a person's response to the offer. He says, a testimony given at the proper time, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. You can read there, he talks about when the fullness of time came. There seems to be uh, this idea in Scripture that Jesus' coming, it came at really the most opportunity uh, what's the word, how do I say that, opportunistic? Uh, the, the timing was prime. Um, when Jesus came, Alexander the Great had sort of laid the foundation. Um, he had forced Koine Greek on the world like I'd shared. 
So every human, even if your original language and your preferred language was Hebrew, if you wanted to do business and interact, you had to use Greek. Everybody spoke Greek. You had to. Then you had the Romans who followed Alexander the Great, who conquered the world, and they, they actually provided a lot of peace. It's referred to as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And their military took control of the whole known earth, and they built the roads, the Roman roads. If you go to Europe today, and you can still see remnants of the Roman roads. And it, it provided a way, it was like a first freeway system that allowed travel to go back and forth from everywhere. And in the midst of this, Christ was born. And Christ was born, he lived his life, he went to the cross, he was executed, and the gospel was able to go out to the whole world. Number one, because everybody spoke the first language, or the same language, since the Tower of Babel. When people were scattered in the Tower of Babel, all of their languages, they were scattered because the languages changed. But now, through Alexander the Great, everybody in the world could speak Koine Greek, they could understand it, so the gospel could go out in Greek. That's why the New Testament is in Greek. It's in Koine Greek, because that's the language that was spoken. And the message was able to go out because the Roman roads were established and it was safe to travel and you could get the message out. This is how the guys were able to do all these missionary journeys and it it, it was beautiful, the timing of it. It's almost like, how in the world did that happen? Well, God was in control of this happening. He says, the testimony was given at the proper time and Paul says his mission statement for This I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And for Paul, we don't really have a lot of time to unpack this, but to think this is Paul the Pharisee. Paul was a narrow man before Christ. Paul was an exclusivist. Paul, uh, the the narrowness of God and who the Jews were and that God wasn't necessarily concerned with others, that this guy that was the most credentialed of all of the apostles. He had the pedigree. He had the training. He was an Ivy League trained guy. He studied under Gamaliel, had everything. And that God would use this man to reach the Gentiles. It was actually genius on God's part, I feel. I, don't, I hope that's not... I don't want to undermine, like God is brilliant how he does things. But if you want to bring the Jews into the body of Christ and to bring these two groups, Jews and Gentiles... Who better to do that than the most credentialed Jewish man that lived, the most brilliant man, the most educated man, the guy with all of the pedigree to say that no Jew could trump him, to say, no, there's no longer Jew and Gentile. We're one in Christ. Brilliant. And Paul says, this is my mission statement. Reach all men. Now, verse 8, I, I, we're getting into my problem of next week. There's a therefore there. So I think I want to cover it next week because I do think that therefore, and in verse 9 we have the likewise. Likewise kind of connects to the therefore, and so there's going to be this expansion of women. So in light of everything that he said, he's going to deal with men, and then he's going to deal with women, and I hope that by next week in my study I can put this in a not a palatable way for the sake. I'm not really necessarily concerned about making it palatable. I want to convey what the Bible says, and I think that our context in our culture has distorted what this is saying. So um, I, I think this is still dealing with the false teachers. And, and so, so in light of everything that he said, he's going to address men and women. And, and so the first part is, therefore, he says, I want the men um, to, to lead in this topic of prayer. 
I've never done a study. I don't know if there's a, a formal study out there somewhere, but I think if you were to survey the prayer meetings of the world, my guess is that females probably dominate in these attendant, in attendance. <clears throat> I always hear about this. Um, since I've become a Christian, I've always heard about the sweet little old prayer warrior lady. It's always a lady. There's the sweet little old men don't have the reputation of being prayer warriors. And it's always a sweet little old lady. Like, I, I you know, I, I never met her, but I, she exists out there. I mean, I've, we, okay, I'm, I'm already next week. But I think the issue, Paul say, no, I want men to pray. I want men to be the leaders that are initiating the prayer. And if men are leading, if men are being the prayer warriors, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect the whole momentum of the body of Christ. And so he challenges men to be praying. He says, Timothy, I want you to lead and I want the men in the church to be the ones leading in prayer. And then he talks about the condition of the man who's praying. He says, I always find the holy hands, hands that are sanctified, set apart for God. To, to think how men use their hands for evil or for good. And he says, I want men who are praying to have holy hands, hands that are set apart, without wrath and dissension. <clears throat> Which I'll probably lead into this next week. And so the question is, how can, how can we as a church be more faithful about praying? Like, wh- why, do, why do we want prayer to be a priority? Because prayer is our connection to God. Like the bulletins, it says something like, uh, oh man, I got it last time. It's like, Plug into the power of prayer. So when we pray, we're connecting ourselves with the living God. And so the living God will speak to us and help us to, to understand and to see his word, what he's revealed. He'll minister to our hearts. We speak to him. We grow in relationship. He becomes central in our lives. And so we as a church, based on what the scripture says, that the church is to be a praying church in relationship with God. And so the question is, is how can we become more faithful about praying? And I don't want this to be like a, you're falling short in your prayer lives. I want this to be more of a, even for me, like, I want to pray more. I want to be more systematic or, or more, I don't know, I, I'm always opting for something. You know, I think it's my German blood. Like, I want there to be uh, check boxes and, and how can I be more structured? And, and I tend not to always make the mark of what I want. I think prayer for us corporately, like when we gather here on Sundays, um, I think there's something about relationship. Like dinner eight. It's like, why is dinner eight so important? Well, you sign up there, you guys go to dinner, you get to know one another, so that when life is hard, you come here and you can say, you know what, I need prayer. I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? Like, I'm happy to pray for you, but you, we all are a part of the body of Christ, and we all can pray for each other. Like, I can't tell you, like, sometimes in the office, you know, there's cameras all around here, and I, sometimes I'll see in the camera, and I'll see people, like, praying for each other. I'm like, oh, that just blesses my soul to see the body of Christ praying for one another. Um, at every Bible study, uh, there's always prayer. On, on um, What day was it? It was on Tuesday. Um, on, on, like, on Facebook, I saw something. I like, never responded. Like, I, I saw it, and it, some girl had posted. I didn't even know the girl's name, but some girl had posted like, a picture of her freezer that was empty. And I, like, something just like, maybe it's because I've been thinking about prayer and praying, and I was like, because I've been thinking about this, like, like God said, you know, like I, my heart was changed. And, and so I said, I know, and I'm like, you know, our church keeps a whole freezer full of food. And if your fridge is empty, we, I, like, 
I'd be happy to just email me. I'll be happy to coordinate something. And I was like, well, you know, actually the, the Spanish group is meeting at the church, and so there's people there. So if you want to meet me at the church, I'd be happy to load up your car with food. So, so I bring this up to say thank you to, I, I don't know how that food gets there. All I know as a pastor that that freezer is always filled with, like, food that's ready to go. It just appears. And so when I, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been able to just, like, waddle all this food. Like, it just happens. And so um, when I got here on Tuesday, suddenly my mind is like, maybe this person's really an axe murderer. Like, I'm like, maybe I should let Alberto know that like, I'm in here and like, kind of look for blood squirting or something, like if something happens to me. And so I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, I'm a little jaded. And so then I go down the hallway to like, kind of see if a car pulls in because I want to be ready just in case, you know. This. And, um, and I go back there and there's a women's Bible study. And I kind of, they're not, they were all praying. And I was like, how beautiful is that picture? And, you know, I got the food off, like, so thank you for those who prepared the food. And, and to see in the Bible studies, like I'm pretty sure that all of our Bible studies, when they meet, there's a time of prayer. Um, I know there's been talk of starting another prayer meeting, and I, I, I hope that happens to where we can um, have a time for, for praying with one another. Um, in the bulletins, there's the, the communication card. If you fill out that communication card, like I'll see it. I pray for it. And then it's inserted into the e-newsletter if it's not marked private. And so... If you don't sign up for the e-newsletter, I'd encourage you to sign up for the e-newsletter. It's a way that look at the prayers that we as a body, that people have put, like, I need prayer for this, that we corporately would be praying for one another in that way. Um, individually, we have the directories, or, and I think they're being updone. updone. They're being updated uh, presently. And in there, there's the picture of everybody at the church. You can go through and just pray for individuals. Our missionaries are there. You can go through and pray for our missionaries. Um, some people like to keep a journal. Like, you can journal prayers. Um, this week in my study, I found a new app that I'm still working on. It's called Prayer Mate, where you can put in a whole bunch of prayers in different categories. You, it'll warn you. and Not warn you. It'll remind you. And you can <laughs> swipe through it just to pray, like, like technology, it's like, so I'm trying to do things to like, how do I personally like incorporate prayer? You can, like prayer triggers. Um, you know, we have these, these free coffee cups. Take a coffee cup and when you have your coffee and you see, oh, Grace Point Church, oh, that reminds me to pray. I have coffee cups from all of our missionaries, so I pray for them. Um, little things that just remind, like in your morning when you're like, oh, where's my cup of coffee? Like, oh, hey, I'm drinking out of Romania. I need to pray for the guests. <laughs> like, then you can, Pray for individuals. If you hear an ambulance, pray for that. Like, whatever you can do to kind of create something in your brain to then reach out to God, because that's what he wants. It's not like you have to be on your knees all day long praying. As you go about your life, you can be talking to him. And that's what he wants, because we as a church need to stay connected if we want to be a healthy church. Okay. You guys can go to Luke on your own this week. Read Luke 11, the first 11 verses. Um, I love it. Jesus is finished. Jesus is praying, and we're told that when he's finished praying, the disciples look at him, and they say, Jesus, you know what? John the Baptist's disciples, John, John teaches them how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray, Jesus? And so I'm always so encouraged that the apostles, they, like, they went to Jesus. They struggled with prayer. I think a lot of us struggle with prayer. And Jesus responds. He says, you know, when you pray, pray like this. 
and he gives him the Lord's Prayer. But then beyond the Lord's Prayer, he says, he tells a story about, you know, if somebody goes to the neighbor and it's two in the morning and they knock and say, hey, can you give me some bread? The person might say, yeah, get away, get away, go away. person knocks again. Say, okay, I'll give you some bread if you'll just go away. And he says, be persistent because God will like, he'll, he'll respond. He then tells a story about a father who's not going like, to give a bad gift to his child. He says, no, no, when, you, when, a, father, when a child asks his father for something, the father's going to give him a good gift. And if, and if a sinful man knows how to give a good gift to his father, don't you think that your father in heaven knows how to meet your needs? So Jesus in that section really encourages us and them uh, to pray and to, to learn how to pray. And we learn the, the nature of God. And so, Father, we do thank you um, that you want to hear from us, that, that I don't know why you'd want to communicate with us. I don't know why it is that, that you would seek to move through the prayers of your people. All I know is that your word tells us over and over and over again that you desire us to communicate with you. Lord, we struggle because our flesh is so strong and our hearts are so wicked and it's um, so easy to put you on a back burner and only to call out to you uh, when we're feeling really helpless. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to grow in our relationship with you, that we would, um, as any healthy relationship where there's communication, that you would help us just to communicate to you from the, day that we, the, from the, the first time that we wake up in the morning when we begin to stir, that we would just say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Uh, that we would communicate to you as we go about our day. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.